0: I'm Jeff Cole. I've been a member at Mount Tor for about 15 years. I joined the church uh, soon after I got divorced because they had a good program um, for singles as well as for, for youth. And so it was a great opportunity for me to bring my family into a good, healthy environment.
1: I'm Izzy Wise, I have been a member of the church for about 12 years. Um, I became involved in Mount Horeb because I was driving by one Saturday and saw that they had a Saturday service and went in because I needed to be at church and I haven't left since.
0: So I got started in missions many, many years ago. I would signed up my younger daughter to go to Long Island, New York on a mission trip and I knew that she was not going to go by herself, and so I signed myself up as a chaperone. And that was the first first trip for me, mission-wise. After that, I was really inspired. I did 10 additional trips, which included Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and Alaska. And that led me to um, signing up for the Liberia trip at the beginning of this year, 2023. Going into Liberia, into the community that we went into, um, there were houses that were made of just dirt. Mud bricks, and they were falling apart. And so we went in. We brought in concrete to build new houses that were going to last. And it was amazing because we got to see them from the beginning all the way through to a couple finished ones, and just to be able to see the progress that was made, to see some of the families that were going to be able to move into into those um, homes. When you're making an impact, you're really adding value. It changes you. It has an impact on you. And I think that's something that. You know, I come back from those trips and it's like, wow, I can't wait to do the next one. So when I go on mission trips, I've got goals. I wanna go and I wanna help the community. I wanna get engaged with the community and do some really constructive service. I wanna get to know every member on my team. It was a great place to go, to work with people, to experience that community, and just to come back refreshed and have a new sense of where, where God is doing work.
1: I said to the ER doctor, I was like, he just came back from Africa 15 days ago, and it switched. The hospitalist came in, others came in, more drugs were given, more blood was pooled. Um, they literally went from an, oh, we see this every day, to an, oh my gosh, what we, you know, he became a phenomenon because no one really understood or knew what was going on. And that night started the journey of, you know, we went from him just thinking he had food poisoning to, Completely.
0: Yeah, that's when all the fun started.
1: They were saying to me, you know, if he does make it, um, if he does survive, if not thinking when, but if, 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 um, and, um, If he does, we're gonna have to have like sticky notes on how to make coffee and sticky notes on how to brush your teeth. Who stays at home and could you be there with them? So they were giving me all of the preparation and questions of if your husband does survive, it's not going to be the normal life that you you have given or you have made yourselves. It's gonna be something completely different.
0: On that Tuesday night I remember coming to diabetes in my arms and the tubes in my nose and my mouth and oh yeah, I checked into the hospital. I have malaria. And I and I was pondering on this. And I don't know if, if I was pondering on it for ten minutes, an hour, or three hours, but it became clear to me I had a lot of pain in my torso. You know, and then it happened. I had an encounter and it felt like the sun just kind of appeared in my room. I could just feel the power emanating, and I'm like, "Oh, God's here. He's here to take me away." Because I was in a ton of pain. I'm like, "All right, God, I feel Your presence. Um, I've had a great life. I'm ready to go." And the response was, "No." <laughs> I'm like, "What the heck? Are you kidding me? This is this is really hurting. I'm not liking this. Let's just let's just go." He's like, "No." If you think this is bad, you don't understand what Christ went through at the cross, and you've got more to do. And I just kind of felt this boom, and it was like, oh God, humble. Me.
1: They kept saying that he was a miracle, and they kept seeing our faith in the Lord, and they kept seeing, I mean, we had so many conversations about the Lord. Um, they said that they called him the marathon man because he unfortunately was supposed to run the Boston Marathon and wasn't going to be able to, but he had trained so hard for it. And they said if he wouldn't have trained hard for that, like his, organs would have really really suffered um, but his coming back was definitely because of the shape and the health that he was in every day there was a miracle after that things that he wasn't supposed to be doing we thought we were going to be on dialysis for at least nine months and he quit in three weeks
0: malaria yeah it, it totally humbled me it, it took away pretty much everything physical mental i'm, I'm laying there in the bed and I, i'm starting to get my cognitive ability back and i remember literally thinking you know, oh my gosh, you know, how long have I been here? And Izzy comes in and I, the first day I asked her when I was getting it back, well, what day is it? And she told me Wednesday and I was like, oh my gosh, I've been out of it for three days? Then I kind of reveled in that for a while and I remember thinking, I wonder if I've been cognitively impaired by being in this bed for three days. And then the next day I'm talking to her, I so I can't believe I've been out of her for three days. And she kind of looks at me three. <laughs>
1: so
0: I came in Sunday, right? She said, yeah, like a week ago. So it's, oh, it was 10, and that made me really go back to, into, oh my gosh, is my brain damaged?
1: He went from being where we weren't sure what was going to happen to, like... A- Is this really happening? Like, are you really walking? Are you really talking? Are you really eating? Are you really, is your heart rate really good? Like they would look at his heart rate and be like, your heart rate should not be this good right now.
0: okay, well, my goals are to get off medication, get off dialysis, you know, get back out, be active. And they're like, hold on, whoa, whoa, it's going to take a while. And they, they were like, we're not sure you'll ever be off of medications. And I would say, you know, at this point, I'm off of all of them. And I, I, I take it all the way back to, I have that encounter with God, I got more to do. I like to set goals. I've got a mission statement. So I just set goals. If I hit them, great. If I don't, at least I'm making progress. And so it's, let's make a little bit of progress here. Let's make a little bit of progress here. And as Izzy said, I don't, think, I don't think I expected to be here at all. At this point, you know, six months after being out of rehab. I had a friend recently asked me, you know, what changed in you from this experience? And I struggled with that for a while, so I really kind of wrestled with it. And I'm like, you know, two things really happened. Number one, I was completely humbled. I mean, fast forward the next few weeks, I mean, waking up in the bed, I can't do anything for myself. And the second thing it did is it just reinforced and strengthened my faith. Once you have an encounter like that, it changes you.
1: Deuteronomy one thirty says, The Lord will go before you and fight your fight, all will be well. You know, they talk about the storms at church, like, you know, things are gonna go well, but there's gonna be a storm, there's gonna be a storm. And I always wondered, oh great, what's my storm gonna be? What's our storm gonna be? And I look back at it and I'm like, that was our storm. But because my, our lives are centered on the Lord and built strongly in the Lord, it was able to be handled and it was. There were scary times, but there was always the fallback of knowing that he's got me, no matter what it is. If Jeff would have passed, it would have been horribly sad, but he's got me.
2: Well, good morning church, it is great to be in the sanctuary with all of you this morning as we continue on in our sermon series, Nothing to Lose. This has been a great series so far. I've really enjoyed the last couple weeks of messages and getting to conclude the service with some special elements. And so I'm excited to be here today as uh, we do week three. And we have a very, very special time of prayer and healing at the end of this service, which is one of my very, very favorite things that we do here at Mount Horeb. You know, I almost feel as though I don't need to preach following that amazing video about Jeff and his wife. Izzy. Uh, What a powerful testimony, right? I mean, if you have not gotten the chance to meet Jeff and Izzy, they are incredible people and they're involved in multiple capacities here at Mount Horeb. But even more than that, they're people with strong faith. Uh, When Jeff came home from Africa and was diagnosed with malaria pretty soon after, it rattled our church and especially our staff. Trevor is speaking over in the auditorium this morning, and he was one of the leaders on that Africa trip. And so I know for him, he has an even more personal impact, how this this impacted him, because he was right alongside Jeff every step of the way. But as a church, as a staff, we were desperately praying for God to heal Jeff. And there were moments, as Izzy said in that video, where it was definitely more of an, you know, if this happens than a when he makes it. And by the miracle of God, Jeff is doing so much better now. You guys could see that on the video. But if I've learned anything in my time of congregational care ministry over the last four and a half years here, or through situations like this with Jeff, is that there's so much power in prayer. Prayer is mentioned over 850 times in the Bible. And so given that number, I'm going to venture to say that it is an extremely important part of our relationship with God. Prayer is one of the most significant things that we can do as believers. It strengthens our connection with the Lord. It deepens our faith. And I believe it truly works. Our passage today hits on this topic of the importance of prayer. And this particular passage takes place toward one of the most famous sermons that's ever been given, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. We're going to start with verse 7, but it'll also be on the screens for everyone this morning. This is what Jesus preaches. Ask, and it will be given to you. Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, if it hasn't become totally obvious yet, Truman and I are expecting our first baby in February. Thank you. Y'all, we are very excited, but we are freaking out too. But we're having a little boy that I'm sure will keep us on our toes and will completely change our lives. And so far, this pregnancy has been pretty textbook, I would say. You know, those typical first trimester symptoms, it's gotten a little bit easier in the second trimester. And now that I am one week away from the third trimester, I'm starting to have difficulties putting on my shoes, getting out of bed, and... Now, I am experiencing, as we're rapidly approaching our due date, some pregnancy insomnia. All the women in the room that have experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. I will randomly wake up in the middle of the night and think about something dumb. Like, where will the baby sleep on vacation? Or is my sink deep enough to bathe him in when he's really little? Or it will go to like some really, I mean, crazy things that I don't even need to be thinking about right now. Like what school will he go to? Or when will we let him get social media? (laughs) My mind will race for hours and hours and hours about these topics and I can't fall back asleep. It's like all of a sudden these maternal instincts have kicked in that I didn't even know that I had. And they have taken over. I'm worrying about decisions for this kid before he's even here. My mom has been really helpful in, in this whole process, and she assures me that these are very normal thoughts as a parent because what do you do as parents or grandparents? You constantly think about your children and your grandchildren. You want what's best for them, and sometimes that means making hard decisions. And perhaps seldom your kids will understand the decision you come to, but other times they might not like that decision very much. They might respond with the occasional, I hate you, Dad, or you just don't understand, Mom. These decisions that parents struggle through, though, they aren't because they hate their kids. It's quite the opposite. These answers that are given by our parents, it's because they love us. And they want us to go down the best path. In our passage in the Gospel of Matthew today, we learn more about who our Heavenly Father truly is and his purpose in why he does certain things or answers us in a particular way, all of his children. We gain this understanding of God our Father through a sermon on how we should pray. It begins with three action words regarding our prayer life. Ask, seek, and knock. In the Greek language, these are called imperatives, essentially meaning they are commands from God. But even more than that, they are present imperatives, meaning it's not just a one-time command, but it's something we are called to do continuously. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Our prayer lives should be rich in communication with our Heavenly Father. You see, when Christ conquered the grave and the veil was torn, There was no longer a separation between this holy God and us. Instead, we were given direct access to the Father. He's not an unapproachable God. Rather, we can speak to him like a friend or a parent. He wants to hear from us, and he listens intently when we come before him in prayer. As we look at these action words a little bit deeper, though, we realize that there's this unique feature in them. There's a progressive intensity as verse 7 goes along. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. First, we are commanded to ask. This is the simplest form of action. When we ask for something, we make a request. Can I have extra cheese on my pizza? Y'all know I'm asking for that right now. Can you tell me why I got a C on my paper? Can I have a raise, please? When we ask for something, we want the person we are asking the question to, to give us something in return. We expect a response. But most of the time our asking is polite. It's, It's not demanding. And so in commanding us to ask, Jesus is demonstrating to us the importance of asking for the things we desire. Because if we don't ask, we won't receive. We must pray with a sense of expectancy. Then Jesus commands us to seek. Well, asking indicates a petition, seeking indicates a search for something. Maybe that's something that is lost or something that hasn't even been discovered quite yet. And so seeking takes more effort because it requires us to strive even more for the things we desire. And what do we know about seeking? Sometimes it can be bothersome, right? When I'm searching for my keys in the morning and I can't find them, I have no idea where I put them, it's frustrating, but I can't give up. Because I have to drive my car in order to get to work. So when Jesus commands us to seek in our prayer life, it's a process of maturing our faith and exhibiting to us the value of not giving up. We must pray with confidence. Finally, in this progression, Jesus commands us to knock. There are two obvious things to note about knocking. First... If we are knocking there must be some element of resistance. If the door were already open there would be no need for us to knock. However, this action indicates that there is a door that can be opened. There's a potential opportunity behind the closed door. Jesus is teaching us, therefore, the significance of steadfastness and passion in our prayer life to keep on knocking until the right door is open. We must pray with persistence. After Jesus gives these three action commands, ask, seek, knock, he follows up with promises. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find knock, the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks will find, everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. God promises that these things will happen. But you see, even though we are commanded to pray with a sense of expectancy, confidence, and persistence, we need to remember that God is not a genie with a lamp. Or a cosmic vending machine giving us exactly what we want, when we want it. I read an article this week that said this. This passage does not say, Ask and you will receive the very thing you ask for, when you ask for it, in the way you ask for it. Jesus wants us to communicate with him through prayer. Yet, When we get to this point in the passage, we understand more deeply that asking, seeking, and knocking is not just a message for us to receive everything we want. Rather, it is teaching us the bigger picture about who God is as our Father and who we are in relation to him as his children. And so let's read this next part of the passage again, 9 through 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So there we have it. The point of asking, seeking, and knocking in prayer is not just for us to get what we want. There's greater purpose. The higher purpose is for God our loving and heavenly Father, to give us good gifts. Jesus starts this point by, by first giving us kind of a silly metaphor by saying if your child asks for bread, will you give him a stone? And bread and, and a stone may be um, you know, a similar shape, but giving your child a stone when they ask for bread is just cruel because it might break their teeth. He goes on, if your child asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? And both of these things are slimy and have scales. But of course, a normal parent isn't going to give their kids something that could be dangerous. Most parents, and I say most because I know there are some not so good parents out there in the world, but most want what's best for their kids. They aren't going to give them something useless or something that's going to harm their child. And what does Jesus say about normal parents? If you then, though you are evil, he's pointing out that all earthly parents sin and make mistakes. And even though they try to make the best decisions on behalf of their children, they still fall short. But even normal, sinful parents give give good gifts to their kids. He doesn't stop there, though. He goes on. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? Normal, sinful parents can give good gifts, but our Heavenly Father knows far beyond our comprehension the best gifts for us. He wants what is good for us, and we are given the promise in this passage that God will Give us good gifts. We were told that very clearly. But this is the tough part of the passage. God defines good a lot differently than we define good. So sometimes when we pray, we are given exactly what we ask for and almost immediately. Our prayer is answered. And in those times, it's easy for us to say, thank you, Jesus, for hearing and answering my prayers. You are a good father that gives your children good gifts. Other times, when when we pray, we're given the answer, not right now. We're told to wait. And this one's a little tougher. We can often be impatient and don't want to wait to hear an answer. And sometimes the answer can come in a few days or weeks or months or perhaps years. On occasion, we're told no in response to our asking, seeking, and knocking. And this can be difficult to understand because we're praying, when we're praying for our desire and we're told no, we can become discouraged and frustrated with God. We don't understand why he would tell us no when we are praying for something so desperately. In the responses of not right now or no, God's good gifts may not seem so good at the time. Why was my family member not healed? Why did my spouse not receive that promotion that they worked so hard for? Why did my child have to go through that season of suffering? This isn't because God likes to tell us no or wait. It isn't because he's angry or or mad at us. Instead, it's because of his great love for us as our father that sometimes his answer is something other than yes. And this can be hard to see in the moment. It can be hard to fathom why God would possibly let me endure that pain or my family to lose that loved one or for my heart to be broken like that. The way that prayer was answered is not at all how I intended when I prayed for it, when I asked for it, when I searched, when I kept knocking. It sure didn't feel like a good gift. It was a burden, it was a struggle. However, While we might think we know what's best for us or our child or that family member or our neighbor or friend, God knows far better than we do what is actually best. In a few minutes, we are going to have the opportunity to spend some special time in prayer. We have stations set up around the room with pastors and prayer partners available for you to come forward and present your requests to our Father. We're here for you. We want to listen to your needs, to help you navigate what you're searching for, to pray for the right door to be opened. But this might be difficult for many of you in the room this morning for various reasons. Maybe it's hard to pray right now because we're afraid of the answer. Maybe we don't want to be told no or wait. It's easier to simply Not pray instead, so there's no disappointment in God telling us no or wait. Or maybe we don't want to be told yes. We have this conviction in our hearts, and we know that God might be leading us into a season that's scary and uncomfortable. And we we don't want him to confirm that for us. Maybe we avoid coming forward to pray because we're embarrassed. We don't want anyone to know, not even God, the battles that we are fighting. Spoiler alert, church, he already knows. We want our lives to look comfortable and perfect because a lot of times it's easier to pretend everything is fine than actually face the truth. Maybe it's difficult to present our requests right now because we feel bad asking. There are plenty of other people in the world in this room that have way more serious requests and issues going on in their life. We believe our desires are definitely not as important as others. We shouldn't be so selfish to ask for God, ask God for these things. Maybe we don't want to pray because we believe we can handle it on our own. We don't need God to answer our prayers because we can fix the problem ourselves. We're kind enough, smart enough, strong enough to solve our own issues. Church, maybe today you are struggling with one of these reasons or or maybe more for not praying. But if you hear me say anything this morning, hear the promise from this passage. There is nothing to lose when we ask, seek, and knock. When we pray, because we will receive good gifts from our Father. Romans eight twenty eight declares, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We might not be able to see right to this moment the way this is all going to turn out. But God is working for our good and for his glory, friends. His ways, his plan, so much better than ours. He sees the bigger picture even when we can't. And so he wants us to continue to pray with a sense of expectancy, with confidence and persistence. This passage doesn't say we hope or we think. It says we know that in all things, God works for our good. Will you put your trust and faith in him today? Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for the good gifts that you give us. We thank you for the commandment to ask, seek, and knock. To pray with expectancy, with confidence, with persistence. And, Father, we know that you don't always answer the way that we want you to answer. That sometimes that answer isn't yes. Rather, it might be wait or or no. God, help us to trust you today. Help us to trust this plan that you have for our lives. Because we know that you are a Father that gives us good gifts. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen.